Welcome to The Great Conversation, where ideas matter. Ideas shape markets, ideas change the world. What are the stories that we tell ourselves? What are the stories we believe in? What are the stories we tell that we don't believe in? What are the useful narratives that may pull us out of uh, non-performance of our organization, whether it's government or private businesses? And we're gonna turn to someone who's taken stories to the next level. And it's based on good research, good strategy, and quite frankly, a good sense of the narratives that dictate our success or failure in the marketplace. Welcome to Peter Singer, co-founder of Useful Fiction. Peter, great having you on. Thanks so much for having me. I, uh, and, and there's so much, as everyone knows, we try to keep this to 20 something minutes. There's so much to explore here, but I'm actually just gonna turn to Peter because he's got books that are definitive, seminal in scope, uh, he's got new programs he's working on, but let me ask you a fundamental question, Peter, because you have your pulse on the marketplace. What is front of mind for you right now? What is going on right now that's our, uh, useful for us to poke our finger into? Mm. I think it's the overwhelming sense of not just change and transition, but how it all comes together and it feels like a crisis uh, layered upon crisis. So, you know, you think about, um, you know, it's my background. I come out of the world of uh, working on primarily technology and security issues. And you think about everything that's going on there from, uh, you know, competition with China and what that means for everything from supply chain to cybersecurity to uh, we've got transitions going on in AI and robotics that are monumental, not just for, you know, this year, but literally, you know, human history lifetime. Oh, by the way, we've got, uh, we're still, um, you know, kind of knock on wood coming out of a pandemic. Um, and then we've got political crisis after political crisis, uh, whether it's Ukraine to um, what it feels like is going on in domestic politics. And it just feels so overwhelming. So that's that's top of mind for me. And I feel like that's top of mind for people who no, don't just work in security issues, but whether it's um, you know someone who's at a bank to uh, food services, you name it. It's just, how do we deal with so much that's going on? It's filling up our um, mind and media space. And it's existential in scope. If we look through history, there have been great disruptions and we can't suggest just because we're supposedly more mature now uh, in our culture, in our systems, we can't pretend that those disruptions can't happen again. There have been great migrations, there have been great pandemics, there's been turmoil, the, the thing that led to the dark ages was a political system that basically controlled the world at the time and suddenly it was disrupted by too many fronts on the battle lines, and that was called the Roman Empire, uh, uh, followed by pandemic and, uh, and, and uh, supply chain disruptions. So those things have happened before. Do you get the sense that they're happening again? Wow, this is a really optimistic conversation we're having so far. <laughs> um, well, well, but, but if we 
speak truth to what is going on, we have a chance to rectify it or mitigate it. So I, what I love you've done is um, you've pulled from history and, you know, I'm a, I'm a history buff uh, in terms of, you know, my hobbies, I relax by reading history on vacation, um, but also because I think there's a great deal to learn. Um, you know, there's the, the saying that history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. I think there's uh, many things to pull from. Now you went further back in time, you know, dark ages. I don't know if that's the app parallel, but um, as an example, we did a, a book of um, what we'll talk about later, a, a useful fiction called Burn In. And um, the subtitle of it was a novel of the real robotic revolution. And what it was going after is when we think about um, AI and robotics, there's the science fiction narrative of, oh, you know, the robot uprising, they're going to come kill us all. But rather, I think a more apt parallel is um, the industrial revolution, where you think about disruption that happens at everything from um, the business level and the individual employee level and how that affects, you know, not just industry, some are winners, some are losers to um, there's migration, people moving to different locations to, oh, by the way, there's also political disruption and it's both good and bad. I mean, the last industrial revolution, um, we got everything from uh, children's rights, women's rights, workers' rights. Those all come out of the industrial revolution. Oh, by the way, you know, so did um, the concepts of, uh, communism and fascism. And so, you know, I don't think we're going out on a limb by saying with robotics and AI, it has a lot of facets of, of, of an industrial revolution, both for better and for worse, and we're living through it. Um, and so what Burnin was, was um, a project to try and wrap our heads around what that all means, but share it in a more engaging manner. So it was a um, research, the project was called AI Visualized, and what we did is um, from doing everything from, uh, you know, pulling consulting company reports and World Bank reports to interviews of everyone from CEOs to computer scientists, um, what did they feel was most important that people needed to understand about AI and robotics? Uh, we actually identified exactly 300 um, tidbits, so to speak, real world insights, uh, but then found the most effective manner to share them was not through, you know, a turgid, um, you know, nonfiction lengthy book, but rather we framed it in a novel. Uh, so going back to that subtitle, it was a novel of the robotic revolution. So you get the, the good stuff while you read. Yeah. Let's pull on that string a little bit because um, this value of telling story and then in particular, a fictitious story how, why did you choose that method, number one? And number two, how are people consuming it? What's your case studies tell you about that method of delivery and consumption? So I'll start out with a story of how uh, myself and um, my partner in the company um, fell into this business. Uh, we both came out of the, the nonfiction writing world. Um, I'd written a number of nonfiction books on everything from cybersecurity to robotics um, to social media. That's actually what you and I um, engaged with many years back. Uh, my partner, August Cole, was a reporter for the Wall Street Journal. 
Um, but uh, we teamed up on and wrote a couple years back a novel uh, called Ghost Fleet, but it was a different kind of novel. It was a novel with 27 pages of um, endnotes. It was like a, a Tom Clancy in um, style. It visualized what a war between the US and China and Russia would look like. But it was also trying to share real world insight on everything from um, cybersecurity issues, supply chain, um, you name it. And we had a rule in it that you know every technology, every setting, even some of the things that the characters say would have a footnote to document, hey, we didn't make this up, this is real. A different way of thinking about it is um, it's a little bit like what I do to my kids every morning. Uh, I sneak fruit and veggies into their smoothie. Uh, so in this case, it was, um, you know, if you think of like a Clancy or a science fiction, that's like a milkshake, you know, it's, it's, it's sweet. It's designed for entertainment. Yeah. Maybe there might be some good stuff in there, like a, you know, strawberry milkshake, but then really at the end of the day, it wasn't, wasn't designed for that. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you have your, your white paper, your board briefing document, um, your PowerPoint. That's like kale, right? I mean, it's good for you. It's just hard to get people to consume it. And so um, that's, we came up with this concept that we called useful fiction, uh, where it's you take the fruit and vegetables, the nonfiction content, but you share it through a story. And um, what happened is uh, it took off. Uh, the book um, sold well. Uh, and, um, you know, certainly, uh, achieve greater resonance than any of our past nonfiction works. But what was really interesting is that it had the most impact of our respective careers. You know, I had had, um, books on, you know, bestsellers and on professional reading lists and invited to, you know, speak at, uh, conferences alongside folks like you to CEOs and the like August had written front page articles for the journal. And yet, this combination of narrative and nonfiction, we were invited to share the real world lessons of it everywhere from the White House Situation Room to um, JSOC, the team that got bin Laden, to the Nobel Institute. Um, but what was really interesting is besides the briefings and insights um, and reaching a wider audience, it led to a great deal of real world change. Um, uh, on one hand, there were three different government investigations launched to keep things that happened in the book from coming true. In turn, um, there were a variety of programs launched to make things that happened in the book come true, including a $3.6 billion U.S. Navy ship program that was literally named after our book. And so from that experience, we realized there's something going on here. And um, we formed a business around it. And the business basically does two things. We um, work with client organizations that have ranged from uh, government, special operations command, to Fortune 500 to help turn their nonfiction content, their board reports, their trend reports, their white papers into visualizations, short stories that are like those smoothies. They help explain it. Um, in a more effective manner. They help people visualize it. And then the second thing we do is we run um, training conferences, uh, leader uh, conferences, where we'll take a group of leaders through that journey. And um, you know, to your question, the why behind it, um, it actually, now I'm going to get wonky with you. There's, there's a science behind it. 
uh, the science tells us that, that narrative story is a more effective means of conveying um, new or complex information. If you read a white paper, if you read a memo, two parts of your brain light up. If that same information is shared through a um, story, four parts of your brain light up. Um, another aspect that anyone from business knows is that it's often not merely the facts, it's the emotion that drives action. Uh, you know, think about a used car salesman, think about a politician. And so narrative brings in emotion. Um, and then the final thing is the, the ask, uh, whether we're talking about a CEO, a, a four-star general, or we're talking about a, a young lieutenant, um, someone in your workforce, it's a far different ask of them to say, hey, can you read this short story, this scenario versus read this white paper. And we can also reach them in alternative locations and times. So um, people are uh, happy to read a short story on a weekend or on a plane in a way they wouldn't be if you gave them a board briefing or you gave them a white paper. And uh, so that's, that's what the business is. It's been, we've been at it for a year. Um, it's been crazy exciting. And as you and I were talking about, what's been interesting for me is um, not only the groups we work with, but it's led to a little bit of an education for myself where, you know, we, we, build these interesting stories. But along the way, I've had to figure out all the, the boring stuff of running a company. Like, uh, you know, just before this, we were figuring out our insurance plan. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Peter, just a short anecdote, just to confirm everything you've talked about, I'll, you know, because I am known for my white papers and my wonky things. I do research for CEOs and, and I come to come together with the facts, right? And the plan that I think uh, is based on that facts. And, uh, I, and there was one pivotal moment where this CEO just rejected everything. He said, no, too much money. It's not going to happen, right? So he turned my white paper into a useful fiction. It's not going to happen. And of course, my counterpoint was it was. So what I did is I plagiarized the logo of the Wall Street Journal. And, uh, and, and as if I had um, actually written an article for the Wall Street Journal. Somebody had written an article, I should say, not me. And it was about how somebody took the idea I had in my strategy paper and executed and was making millions of dollars. And he and I tucked it under the door. So it was a Wall Street uh, Journal article, right? It was definitely fiction. And he didn't know it. And he came running into my office. He goes, I'm sorry, we, we should have done this. I can't believe it. We're way behind the curve. And I go, you know, and I fell on my sword and told him what I had done because I was playing not only with the facts, but the emotion like you just talked about. And so it's just fascinating to me that people like the Army Cyber Command turned to Burnin and said, wait, wait, I've read this book two or three times. And it starts a whole different discussion with you on whether that can really happen or not, Right. And what's great about that anecdote that you shared is um, it illustrates two things. One is the goal that you have in transforming that nonfiction to narrative. And the second is the wide variety of forms that you might utilize in such an exercise. So the goal is in some situations we work with organizations, it's um, to provoke uh, a action based off of the emotion of fear. And that's, you gave that example. It's, it's create a bad future outcome 
such that the reader, you know, whether it's that CEO or it's a senator or it's, you know, a member of your organization, um, here's a really, really bad day that you've experienced through a synthetic environment with the idea that you go, ooh, I do not want that to happen. What are we going to do to keep that from, from coming true? There's the flip side you can do, which is that you can paint a really good scenario, um, some kind of positive outcome, some kind of skill set in your workforce that a character might have. And so the reaction is, wow, I really like that outcome. Uh, we're not going to get that outcome right now. What can we do to make that come true? Uh, there's another type, which is just, it's purely explanatory. Um, so to give you an example of that, we did a project for NATO, the um, military alliance, where um, they had had a research report on quantum technology, which is arguably one of the most important, but most complex new technology areas out there. And they wanted their senior leaders to, to understand it. And, you know, they created, it was like a 30 page report and it had all this new vocabulary and, and, you know, it, it just didn't strike with effect. And so what we did is we turned that um, report into three short stories. So like, you know, one was, uh, um, it followed a commando team through the catacombs of Paris as they hunt a terrorist but what it was is along the way, it was sharing the, the vocabulary of quantum technology. So as opposed to giving, you know, the equivalent of the CEO, here's your glossary here. You need to understand these, these words and definitions. They got it by reading the short story. So there was no emotional intent other than, you know, let's wrap your head around it. So the next time you see it, um, you'll understand it. And so that's the first part that you hit. And the other, as you gave your example, is the variety of different forms that you might utilize in right. useful fiction. So there's, you know, the straight up story, very classic, you know, follow a character. Um, it might be third person. It might be first person. We might, we did one that was um, a story written from the perspective of a CEO writing in coach class a week after a ransomware attack had hit their company. And it was wow. you know, sort of to put them in a bad situation or like you put it, you can create fake documents and it might be a fake news article. Um, it might be a fake government document. We did another one that, that your uh, listeners might find enjoyable. It was a um, fake, uh, as if it was being, it was a fake report to investors. Um, and it was, you know, in the language of, you know, that sort of quarterly uh, report that's being given from someone about, you know, here's how I view, you know, what's going on in the market and the like, but it was actually, if you'll imagine it was to help people understand, um, the effects of continued U S China competition. So you can use all sorts of different forms and, and to hit ver a variety of different emotions. Um, you tailor it to what you're after. So good. So good. And, and, and it struck me, again, didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have a program or a methodology that you've developed, but uh, I, was, I was trying to confer with the CEO how to sell the new strategy to the company, which would require change. And we wanted it to be seen as an opportunity. And we, we, we took Jim Collins good to great. And we, we developed a mock program that he had developed a good to great reward for uh, smaller companies that had uh, gone from good to great. And we ended up creating an award ceremony in front of the company. And uh, Jim Collins is delivering the award and then interviewing the CEO on how it happened. 
how did we win this award five years from now? And, the, and it was a wonderful, wonderful narrative. And it was so good that some of the employees thought I was Jim Collins, which, <laughs> which was kind of interesting. So it works. It works. And I didn't ever think of it as a methodology. Are people beginning to grasp this with your customers going, oh, my gosh, we need a good story. So first, that that example you gave, um, it reminds me of one package we did for actually for um, Special Operations Command, and, and this is not classified, so I can share it. It was um, like many businesses, they're uh, looking at the world and it's changing and they're trying to figure out over the next 20 years, uh, not only what are their roles and responsibilities going to be. And, you know, this is when you say Special Operations Command, you're talking about, like, you know, Navy SEALs, Army Rangers, Green Berets, et cetera. And so they're looking at the world saying, how is it changing? What are our changing roles and responsibilities? But also uh, part of that question is, who are we? What are the, the skills that we have right now, the type of personnel that we're recruiting right now? And what are we going to need over the next 10 to 20 years? And so they had a some really interesting um, work on that, uh, some white papers on it, and they wanted to share that concept. And so the the framing that we did to help um, the wider group understand it as we changed it, it's a little bit of parallel what you were talking about. We turned it into a retirement speech, but given by someone in 2040. So the person was looking back on their career, on their life at this retirement ceremony. But of course, it's in 2040. So what they're sharing is, all the changes that the organization wants to have happen over the next 20 years. Um, so it's, it, again, it, it, that's, that's the fun of, of this new job is we get to take that, you know, that kale uh, and figure out how do you make it into something that people enjoy, but also find useful. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's worked. Uh, you know, we started the business 14 months back, um, and it's grown. I think we're whatever we're on our 36 contract so far. It's been with, um, you know, US military, Australian military, British government, Canadian government. We've also done it with um, a, a couple of Fortune 500s and a, a nonprofit um, as well. And yeah, people have found them really uh, useful. Um, the metrics tend to back it up. Uh, so it's a good example of that. I'll give you a great example of that. Um, we did a project for the Australian government. They had a, um, a white paper uh, on um, education enterprise reform. So how they needed to change the enterprise side of their education system. A uh, 21-page report um, reflecting a lot of organizational effort. Um, obviously, really important topic, but you know, let's be honest. Um, I, I don't hear anyone uh, listening to us right now going, you know, "Ooh, can I Google that report? Where can I get it?" Um, and so, uh, what we did is um, we turned that report uh, we into a narrative. We identified its three key themes, its 37 um, nonfiction insights that they wanted to share. So, you know, what were the fruit and vegetables? And we turned it into a story. Um, story's called Eye for a Storm. 
the story has um, since been read by um, over 15,000 readers across their government and military system and beyond. It was um, republished in an online journal uh, that's popular among um, uh, millennial uh, security folks called um, Task and Purpose. Um, so the numbers were far greater than what they would have achieved otherwise. But what was really interesting is among those 15,000 readers was um, the head of the entire Australian military and six U.S. Um, four-star uh, equivalents. So uh, at the level of kind of the governmental version of a, of a CEO, you're not normally getting them to read 21-page reports on education enterprise reform but we got them with that narrative. And uh, it's a great example to us of um, how you can uh, transform a topic into something engaging. And we also like to talk about that example because you know, if you can do it on education enterprise reform, I mean, you can do it on anything. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, you just got my brain firing all the synopsis right now because I'm thinking, my gosh, you know, I could have it sounds like I could have your team study even an industry, an industry, if you think in a market ecosystem like healthcare or security or you know, technology and have a bunch of different CEOs in the room and you could probably develop a narrative and, and test it in front of those people and have them on the edge of their seats, couldn't you? So you could do that in two different ways. So one is with a group, you could, you know, you would identify what is that nonfiction content? Um, and again, it might be CEOs, it might be, we call them SME, subject matter experts. So it might be, you know, a member of your team that's your lead person on whatever quantum technology or um, healthcare tech, whatever it is. And, you know, we work with the group and say, okay, what is it that we're trying to share? Um, and also back to that, what are those emotions? And then another important part of this is um, who's your target audience? Um, and, you know, again, you're going to have a different kind of story for, different audiences because you they have different emotions that you want to provoke um in our training classes uh one of the more informative for the uh, this was this we did this one for the british government so we brought in a, a hollywood um writer to talk about this idea of target audiences and matching and he basically shared with them you know look there's no movie that hits all audience he's like you know i'm an expert i you know he's written um, he's written, you know, number one blockbuster movies. And he's like, look, it would be great if you could write a movie that was simultaneously uh, something that nine-year-old boys, um, someone on a date and your grandmother would all <laughs> want to go to. That does not exist. Right. So why are you trying to tell us if I am, he's like, if I'm an expert in this and I can't do it, why are you trying to, you know, tell the same story to whether it's your workforce or your an outside audience to your board? Uh, he's like, why are you trying to do that? When and so one is one track is, you know, essentially kind of we do it for groups. Another is what I was referencing there that workshop where you bring people together, and um, it's a combination of one 
what are the skills of narrative and, you know, bringing in a mix of like what we do is we, it's not just like fictional writers, but um, as an example, we will bring in um, journalists. So uh, like we had the New York Times science reporter who would talk through, um, here's how I take complex tech topics and turn them into something that a more general audience can um, understand. You also might want to bring in examples of your target audience. So like when we did this for a military group, one of the speakers we brought in was actually a retired four-star admiral. Um, and he talked about, you know, not the future of war. He talked about, here's how I wanted to be briefed versus how people actually briefed me, which is, you know, something really useful for people to hear in their careers. Um, but then the other part of that kind of workshop approach is you dig into what are the stories that we aren't telling well. And again, when I say stories, I'm not, I'm not talking about, you know, made up stories. I'm talking about what are the themes? What are the issues? But also what are the lies that we tell about ourselves and what we do? And then you take that combination of identifying the stories, but also the skills for good storytelling. And we'll take the group through where, all right, let's do it. And um, we've run groups that range from, you know, uh, generals to lieutenants to um, CEOs through this, where they're the ones creating the scenario that best explains what they're after. So again, there's two different tracks. Um, both of them are uh, can yield different results. I would add one of the last things that's really fun about the workshop approach is that we end it with... Um, it's a writer's room. Uh, and if you've watched like a TV show, it's the way uh, like TV show, you know, they're created, you, you know, a writer presents their ideas and then other people are kicking back improvements and changes on those ideas to refine it. And it one makes the final story better, but it also helps for certain groups to kind of get into the mindset of, hey, you know, we've all got ideas, but we also have to be open to editing and changing those ideas. Um, and it, it's really, you know, again, that it's a very different kind of experience for people um, than your normal, you know, uh, training workshop. So these workshops, uh, those are high powered people in the room. Are we talking an hour, two hours, three? Days? Oh, no, you're talking. I mean, we've done them. Uh, you're talking either a day or a two day to do it right. Um, again, and it really depends on, uh, how much you want to dig into it and the level of outside speakers that you're bringing in. Um, so yeah, it's, I mean, it, look, I'm, there's, you, there's different types of skills that you're trying to go after this. What we found it's, it's really good to do as either a culmination to a larger exercise, um, or that you can do it as part of a, a retreat, you know, I, I mean, right. different organizations have these leader retreats and they're, you know, they're usually a mix of um, come in and, and let's hear presentations on, you know, how the business is going. Um, then there's the other part that's some kind of fun. Let's go golf. Let's go to an escape room. And then there's often like a um, kind of, you know, I'm being kind of mean here, but some kind of boring training or an outside speaker that comes in who kind of, you know, isn't tailored to the group. What we try and do is give a, you know, it meshes within that um, idea of both. This is um, 
entertaining. It'll be engaging for people. They'll enjoy it, but also they'll walk away from it with some skills in their own professional lives that they can use forward um, in terms of the next time they give a speech, the next time they they give a, um, they're building a memo or a pitch, they'll have these tools of narrative that they can deploy, but also potentially we've got some scenarios that that group can go after and use in their own practice. Peter Singer, you have taken us through quite a ride here. Um, not only your personal journey, journey uh, of being a wonk that turned to a storyteller, but also you mentioned at the beginning, crisis upon crisis. And as I reflect now on our great conversation, we, especially in this world, what some call a VUCA world, uh, volatility, uncertainty, um, we, uh, are, we, can, we can actually be trading or connecting in stories others are creating, or we can harness our own stories for strategic advantage, government or real world commerce. This has been an outstanding conversation, Peter Singer, and thank you so much. Oh, I appreciate you having me on.